Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are taking a listener suggestion for our book club pick. So thanks as always, listeners, for sending in your suggestions. We like it. Yes, it's the best. Uh, we are talking about Angela Saini's book, Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong and the New Research That's Rewriting the Story. So already, it's got me hooked. <laughs> <laughs> the book is laid out in chapters like a life cycle, um, conception, pregnancy, menopause, things like that. Saini sets out to tackle all the ways that science has been used to oppress women, how these ideas have infiltrated into our society and our own brains as way to hold women back. It assesses all kinds of studies that have been used over the years to make the case that women are inferior, that have been weaponized against them, and uh, disproves them or points out the flaws. So, so Sandy comes in and takes these, these studies that we've kind of all accepted and probably a lot of us have heard and internalized and then looks at them with a the scientific eye and yes, either says no, no way or points out why at the very least it is flawed. And this is something I'm always really hyper aware of when we cite studies or research on this show. It gives me anxiety because I know that under the guise of science for much of history, a lot of these studies have been weaponized against women and minorities and or dismissed or willfully misinterpreted. Saini writes, that hushed uncertainty is what lies at the heart of this book. It's the question mark hanging over us, raising the possibility that women are destined never to achieve parity with men because their bodies and minds simply aren't capable of it. And I know this is something I've experienced and I've talked about a lot of me kind of internalizing this idea that women aren't good at math, even though I was quite good at it. And I remember when I was in college... I heard a male student make this argument in front of a class of probably 50 people with such confidence that biologically there was just a reason that men had more power and were better than women. And I remember like looking around, am I, am I hearing, like, is this a joke? <laughs> wow, I can't imagine this. <laughs> Right. And he kind of said it unprompted too. I like I don't know. We were talking about it was macro and economics class, and we were talking about money, and he just felt the need to share this viewpoint. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. I like guys who just unpromptly says something ridiculously sexist and just move on with their life. Like they just gave you a magical potion about something or a magical mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Like it's such key. a condescending. They give you a magical key to life. Rather. Yeah, like you, you're too foolish, or you, you don't have the skills or capabilities to understand how much worse you are. Right. <laughs> you're like, it's okay. Oh, pat on the head. Don't you worry. Oh, like, sit down. Well, first of all, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to the University of Georgia and the fact that there are so many studies coming from the University of Georgia, my yeah. alma mater. I was yeah. very proud. I was like, hey, look, that's my school. <laughs> yeah. And I also love the arguments they're making. They're like, this is ridiculous, but we'll get into that more later. Because mm-hmm. I was like, yes, very proud of the studies that are coming out here. But mm-hmm. yeah, she also writes, 
quote, women are so grossly underrepresented in modern science because for most of history, they were treated as intellectual inferiors and deliberately excluded from it. It should come as no surprise then that this time scientific establishments has also painted a distorted picture of the female sex. This, in turn again, has skewed how science looks and what it says even now. And by the way, disclaimer, yes, Much of these studies cited in this book are very cis-heteronormative and binary. Yeah, which is something we've talked about also on the show, which is a problem we run into all of the time. Right, and it's kind of that same, because at the very beginning of the book, as we're going to talk about, they are very dismissive. I don't even study women half the time. Mm-hmm. Same way with any of the marginalized communities in any way. So they are completely dismissed altogether. So, unfortunately, meh. But let's get into the what of this book. In the opening of the book, Saini lays out where we are in terms of women in science. UNESCO, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, which keeps global figures on women in science, estimates that in 2013, just a little more than a quarter of all researchers in the world were women. Yeah, so that's a quote she starts out with. Saini speculates on the reasons why the numbers fall out that way. Generally, men are able to put in more time into their career after childcare. Um, women take more time off for childcare and for taking care of the house. Sexual harassment and gender biases, a history of being left out, preferring sons to daughters, all kinds of factors that systemically work against women in the world of science, many of them that we have discussed before on this very show. Right. And yeah, again, a reminder, these are not always choices. These are just what you have to do for many of the women would say they have to do this. They would much, some of them would much rather work, but they can't. Well, and we saw that with the pandemic of women who were able to uh, submit academic papers at the rate that men were because they were working at 2 a.m. at a lab because they had to take care of children. So yeah, not always a choice. It's just something that has to be done. Right. You're the one that's going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, no one's going to do it, so she has to do it. Um, And there are plenty of historical examples of rules and constraints keeping women out of science. There's a lot. They all make me angry. For example, (laughs) until the 19th century, men at Oxford and Cambridge universities were expected to be celibate, and women were thought to be an unnecessary temptation. Women were denied entry to institutions and organizations for centuries. In cases where they weren't, their contributions were often overlooked or ignored. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not surprising, but it's wild to me that the excuse to keep women out of a university would be, you might tempt these men, so I mean, (laughs) that excuse still happens with dress code. It's true. Absolutely true. Not only that, there are scientific theories that men are responsible for evolving us into a higher species, which sounds like the most... Like, big-headed thing I can think. Like, we're responsible for evolving the species into what it is, okay? Well, I do, like, eventually talk about trying to be more handsome because that's how they had to evolve, and I want right. to roll my eyes so hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these are real things, and we've heard them. Um, and yes, uh, one of the reasons behind some of these theories is that men or males of species had to evolve because they had to impress and care for mates. And that women get menopause because men no longer find them attractive. That's a separate theory, but also a theory. Uh, Using science in these ways to maintain the patriarchy to justify sexism and racism. Yeah, I'd never heard of that menopause one, but 
what did Sandy say? Like it puts the men in menopause. Like it makes them all about, it makes menopause all about men. <laughs> it is. I love that. If it's their fault, I should have had menopause a long time ago. <laughs> um, one example Sandy gives involves Charles Darwin, who wrote in a letter to a woman, I certainly think that women, though generally superior to men in moral qualities, are inferior intellectually. Charles Darwin. Uh, This was a letter that he wrote, which was to a woman who was looking to improve the standing of women. So she was reaching out to him like, look, I got these dudes who are holding us back here. They're saying women are inferior, thinking that Charles Darwin would be like an ally. And he's like, well, actually, he goes on to say, women shouldn't try to leave the homes or else they might hurt themselves and any potential children, that they are essentially less evolved than men inferior. He wrote in The Descent of Men, the chief distinction in the intellectual powers of the two sexes is shewn by men attaining to a higher eminence in whatever he takes up than women can attain, whether requiring deep thought, reason, or imagination, or merely the use of the senses and hands, man has ultimately become superior to woman. (sighs) That makes me want to throw things. (laughs) The woman sent him a fiery response to his letter, quote, let the environment of women be similar to that of men and with his opportunities before she be fairly judged. Intellectually, his inferior, please. I love that so much. I know. I do too. Angry letter to Charles Darwin, like, hey, (laughs) give us the same opportunities and we'll see. Right. (laughs) And that's exactly the whole point of anyone who was held back. Give everyone that equity and same opportunity and let's see what happens. Right, exactly. Others have pointed out that the theory of evolution and dismissing the innate inferiority of women due to Eve, the biblical Christian Eve, both in terms of sin and the fact that she was created from Adam's rib, actually was huge in terms of shifting people's beliefs around women. And and people really, really questioned a lot of these beliefs, and, and specifically women, perhaps, obviously. In 1894, after a year of researching, Eliza Burt Gamble published The Evolution of Woman, an Inquiry into the Dogma of Her Inferiority to Man. Gamble recognized the damage of using science to prove women were inferior and was determined to prove otherwise. She criticized many of Darwin's assertions directly, pointing out the inconsistencies and hypocrisies, and argued that the very qualities he attributed to women that he called lesser, like cooperation and altruism, must have contributed to humanity's survival as a whole. She argued that women had been systemically suppressed by men, which made them appear inferior. She pointed out examples of powerful women in other cultures that Darwin gave no attention to. And while her work left an impact in political and activist spaces, scientists were, for the most part, unimpressed. Didn't, mm-hmm. didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear it. I love the story so much because she like took a whole year of her life and dedicated it just to this. <laughs> she was ready. She was ready to she combat it. She was so it. ready. <laughs> um, and we do have a lot more to get into, but first we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. Something else Saini digs into in this book is women's historical role of being submissive to men, relegated to the private sphere, not in the public sphere where science takes place or where even 
they can be seen, like their contributions could be seen. Right. And so just because we love it, here's another infuriating quote from the evolutionary biologist George John Romains in 1887, quote, from her abiding sense of weakness and consequent dependence, there also arises in woman that deeply rooted desire to please the opposite sex, which, beginning in the terror of a slave, has ended in a devotion of a wife. <laughs> it is infuriating. Oh, several theories around this time sought to specifically, scientifically prove men were better than women. One involved a scientist repeatedly injecting himself with blood, semen, and juices obtained from crushed dog and guinea pig testicles. He claimed it helped him with mental clarity, strength, and stamina. <laughs> wow, definitely proving better than women. Okay. A later similar experiment was done with female juices. What these scientists had uncovered were sex hormones. And this was very exciting news for pharmaceutical companies in the 1920s who now could capitalize on masculinity and femininity using science. The study of hormones made people a lot of money and generated a lot of myths. For instance, it has never been definitively proven that higher levels of testosterone make people more aggressive. And yet, I bet almost all of us believed that at one time. Right. Thought that was the case. The Olympic officials sure do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we're still talking about this stuff to this mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we do we do know that this is still a thing. Here's another quote. A study published in 2012, psychologist Corinne Moss Raskuen and a team of researchers at Yale University explored the possibility of gender bias in recruitment by sending out fake job applications for a vacancy of laboratory manager. Every application was identical except that half were given a female name and half a male name. When they were asked to comment on these potential employees, scientists rated women significantly lower in competence and hireability. They were also less willing to mentor them and offered far lower starting salaries. The only difference, of course, was that these applicants appeared to be female. And right. we talked about this, where science has sort of undergone this uh, Me Too moment, just like a lot of industries and um, fields are, and just hearing all of the different ways that women have felt discriminated against in that right. world. I love that this happened with the science field for labs as it did the same thing with tech not a few years later. I feel like every time something new happens, the same BS happens. And this right. is that. And they have to do the same damn uh, tests right. to see if they're still happening. And yo, it's still happening. <laughs> yeah. Mind-blowing. So the book delves into how many cultures prize sons over daughters too. Despite the fact that given everything is equal, girls are more statistically likely to survive. Therefore, in societies where the infant mortality rates don't match that, it suggests that girls are at more social risk, not given the same amount of care or resources as boys. Across almost all major causes of death, women are statistically more likely to survive. Uh, that doesn't mean women don't get sick. They do. And in fact, the numbers show more women do get sick, and some researchers theorize experience a lot more pain. However, this could also be because women do survive more and therefore suffer more. My theory on that was they also are more likely to go get help. And that's why it's reported that they are sicker more. Right. And I mean, as we've talked about a lot, a lot of times, how women present an illness isn't studied or is dismissed. So I think that the fact that this is showing out even given those, those things, that says a lot. 
That says a lot. Yeah. Um, we will survive. <laughs> and this dismissal of women's pain in the medical world is starting to change, but frustratingly slowly and recently. In 2016, a doctor of reproductive health in the UK, John Gillibod, told a reporter that period pain, menstrual pain, can be as painful as a heart attack and that it hasn't been studied because it's not something men have to deal with. Something he said. And I, I mean, I know a lot of us have been there where you try to explain it to people who haven't had the cramps or like severe cramps in here. It's like... It's very painful. <laughs> right. I mean, and we've talked about it many a times. The fact that every woman has different levels of pain mm-hmm. and there's this whole other concept of what can, who can handle what is kind of that irony of like, you don't know what we go through. Right. But some women don't know what we go through either. So they're dismissive of that as well. And I want to punch them in the face. No offense. <laughs> but when they're no like, offense. hey, it's not that bad. Hey, it's not that bad. I'm like, I will push you somewhere. I don't know where, but I will push you. Uh, (laughs) But I found that quote interesting because I'm like, hey, someone's acknowledged that it can be severe. It can be quite painful. severe, y'all. Yes. Thank you, IUD. So (laughs) women have also been left out entirely of new studies because of an opposite problem, the belief that their bodies are the same as men's. And I did find that interesting, the back and forth of this. Yeah. In 2014, scientists analyzed over 300 papers about the evolution of the genitalia published between 1989 and 2013. About half looked at only males, while only 8% looked at only females. One reporter dubbed this finding, quote, the case of the missing vaginas. I did like that. (laughs) It's cheaper to study men, and the long-held belief has been that women's hormones fluctuate more and that there is a risk of pregnancy, which seems to be an excuse just straight across the board. Right. This means that in some areas, we are woefully ill-informed about how drugs interact with women. And in some cases, this has had disastrous consequences. And yeah, I did really like the fact that they talked about heart conditions because that's some of the things I didn't know until my mother ended up going to the hospital and we found out she had like a 98% clogged artery that was her main artery. Like they called it the widow maker. And oh, yeah. it took her going to three doctors before they figured it out. And all she had was the jaw pain and mm-hmm. dizziness and tiredness, which mm-hmm. is completely opposite of what I knew as a heart condition. Right. Which she talks about in this book as well. We've talked too about how girls and women may present things like autism differently or ADHD differently, which may be societal, cultural, biological, or a combination of all of the above. Saini, the author, concludes that male and female bodies can be both similar in a lot of ways and different in others. Yeah, and I think that was a real tricky and is a real tricky thing to keep in mind because in a lot of ways our bodies are the same, but there are differences. So it's like, it's been used, it's been used both ways negatively. (laughs) Right. Uh, And I did love her conversation and the back and forth study about gendered uh, norms versus biology. And it Mm -hmm. did go back and forth in talking about the studies that happened for young babies. Also, she talks a little bit about attachment as well. Mm -hmm. She goes into a lot and how that presents uh, biologically and or societally. Yes, yes. Another myth that has persisted 
The female brain weighs less, so therefore they are less intelligent. Sadie details the story of Alice Chinnorth Day, more commonly known as Helen Hamilton Gardner. She was vocal about women's rights issues and penned works like Facts and Fictions of Life, where she passionately argued that institutions like marriage and unequal education access held women back. Uh, she also argued that when scientists say things like a woman's brain <laughs> weighs less, he, and yes, usually at this time in the late 1800s, a he, she as a woman had no way to verify or disprove his findings. She gave a talk called Sex in Brain at a woman's conference in Washington, D.C. in 1888. She said, I finally, with fear and trembling, made up my mind to learn what he knew on this subject or perish in the attempt. He being a male scientist who claimed that women's brains were smaller and therefore they were less intelligent. She worked with a scientist over 14 months and talked to over 20 anatomists. Her results published in Popular Science Monthly revealed the experts couldn't tell the difference between a male and female brain just by like looking at it or holding it or weighing it. And also that brain weight doesn't equal intelligence. She wrote, if this were true, uh, and quote, elephant might outthink us all. <laughs> Despite compelling results in a well-written paper, she was mocked by the scientist in question. Gardner, determined and angry, left her brain to science, to be studied, to science after she died. The scientist that came into possession of her brain validated her, but the myth persisted. I love that the comparison was that her brain weighed more than the dude yes. who was like, no, this is what this. She was like, ha After death, she still had the like, upper hand. Yes. I hope somewhere she got to have the last lap. So there's a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of ground that's covered in these books. And we did want to run through some other things. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. So yeah, this book wasn't a difficult read at all, but it is dense. Like, it covers a lot. So we wanted to run through some terms or ideas that resonated with us, but definitely recommend it. It was it was really fascinating. It was a really fascinating read. I think this is one of those that you might need a workbook. Yes. <laughs> or like, you have to pause and then go back and reread for a second. Like, let it sink in. One of the things in there that I thought was really interesting, because we've all heard this hunter-gatherer story, that hunter-gatherer idea of men would go out and hunt and the women would stay and take care of children and the community and usually work in agriculture. And I really love Saini's whole take on this of like, why are we, even if we were going to accept this is true, why are we dismissing the importance of the gatherer as if it's lesser? Especially because at the time, like you're... The gatherer is what's kind of sustaining you in the community. The hunting might get you some meat every now and then. Right. But otherwise. <laughs> yeah. I did love also, they did talk about the fact that women did hunt, but they also yeah. came back and understanding that their role in the village was more important than men, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it couldn't be far from it overall. Right. Um, of course, there was some conversation about pregnancy and motherhood mm -hmm. and all of that in that conversation. But it was interesting that they're like, it wasn't because they couldn't. It's because they'd rather do this or had the, again, had the obligation right. of doing something else outside of that. But they also did it for sport. But yeah, part of the hunter-gatherer part was that men could show off. Right. Once right. again. 
Yeah, get that mate. Um, (laughs) But also there's discussion of the importance of like the grandmother and how they would be out hunting and they'd be carrying children maybe while they were doing it. And I do think like as we're talking about all of this, you can kind of hear it. You can kind of hear the problem that Sani is at the heart of Sani's book is that a lot of it is how we've interpreted these sciences or this history in that the way we frame it and the way we see it is the hunter slash the man is a superior role, is of more value. And that's just like how we've interpreted it and um, taken it in. I did also like that she found the many studies or had talked about the studies where it talks about the fact that in these types of villages, in these types of communities, it's not so much that there is this level of men being superior. As in fact, it is noted that Typically, in these communities, which had not been tainted by religious ideology as well as scientific ideology, which were leaning very sexist, obviously, Mm -hmm. that women were seen as more valuable within that community or within that village. I found that interesting, too. Yeah, yeah. And it is kind of, if it wasn't so sad in the ways we weaponized it against people, it is kind of funny to me that, like, it's this human nature to be like, oh, this is this gender, this sex is superior to this one. So the hunting, usually the people in power are being like, see, this is proof that we should be on top because hunting is better. <laughs> it's just like, why do we got to be this way? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do you got to be this way? Why? There's also a lot of uh, a lot of discussion around sexual behavior and a lot of things that we've talked about recently on this show and, and how science has been used to back up things that mostly benefit men, like studies that I'm sure a lot of us have heard this too, like men are set up to cheat, like it's just in their genes, they're going to cheat. And women are chaste. And that's also in their genes. But then as Sadie points out, if that's the case, if women are chaste, why are males in nature so insecure they'll be promiscuous? And she gives a lot of examples of like pigeons just really not letting the female pigeon go anywhere. Just all these instances. And she's like, it doesn't really make sense. (laughs) Right. Like there was a conversation about the fact that, yeah, after watching mating, that the male species were so insecure, they would wake them up, make them uncomfortable, put them in an uncomfortable position to sleep so he could watch her, like essentially, and how constant that is. And they're like, why are you so insecure? A, B, why won't you let me be? (laughs) But I also thought it was hilarious about the whole like polygamy BS. I'm like, oh my God, how long do we have to talk about the fact that they continue to say men are not supposed to be monogamous, men are not supposed to be monogamous. And at the same time, being like, but women have to be choosy. Like, why? Why right. do we have to be cho- What? But apparently men aren't, and they just grab at anything. So there are so many things of like, do you really want to be right. reflected as someone that has no standards, like, in whatsoever? Like, you just don't care, and you are right. that powerless to your penis? <laughs> powerless to, to your penis. Sex? <laughs> right. That's something else that comes up, I think, in these conversations a lot, too, is that... It, Nature can be, it can make us uncomfortable. Um, And one of the things Sani talks about in here is infanticide Mm -hmm. and maternal instinct or perhaps lack of maternal instinct. And of course, those are conversations that when you talk about them, even in animals, but if you even like apply them to humans, Mm -hmm. it makes us really, really uncomfortable because we, we think 
that we have evolved beyond those things. But also a, a lot of societal things that we do, we have placed these narratives that make them sound much nicer than they are in nature. So mm-hmm. like making love perhaps is a great example. And that's not to say like that's wrong necessarily, but it can become really murky uh, when we're discussing these scientific studies and what they mean and if they apply to us, if they do at all. But yeah, that was that was <laughs> that's something that's in the book as well. And there's a lot of examples from bonobos and chimps. And one of my very favorite uh, quotes, I believe it was a scientist that Sandy was speaking to. She she called the female bonobos a gift to the fin- feminist movement. <laughs> <laughs> Is bonobos or bonobos? <laughs> I don't think I've ever said it out loud. Anyway, type of monkey. Um, <laughs> and then... Sandy does talk about, yes, things like menopause and and how that has become all about men as well. How patriarchy, the rise of it was encoded into some of the very first laws. Um, Stuff that we talked about like um, female genital mutilation, particularly women's roles in in this case. Virginity, the idea of virginity. Orgasms, as we talked about, also making that all about men. Right. I think it's interesting that they, again, it just comes back to when did this happen? And this is not necessarily that old in concept because it was introduced with all of these religious ideologies and insertions to uh, society. And again, when we talk about if we go back further and who is valued and what is seen as value, it's not so much about gender. It's not so much about that. And, and even talking about, you know, when you were talking about the the chimps and infanticide, there was a lot of eugenics behind this conversation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we need to talk about that as a bigger point of like, what did they see as desirable in an offspring and the fact that that value was placed on men. But as some countries have realized, having all boys is not a great thing. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's that's the heart of this book. And, and I think the point was very well made, but we can't get rid of these biases that we have. Right. When we do science, uh, when we do science, do the science. Yeah, and, and that's something we've talked about with technology too. Is those biases get coded into technology, which further perpetuates sexism or racism or whatever. And it, it can be something that you don't even realize. Right. But that's the problem: is you don't right. realize it, and then yeah. it becomes like something that is used to hold up these systems that are sexist and racist. Right. And you would think with things like technology, which is fairly new, they would Mm -hmm. learn from the past mistakes of, oh, not everyone who's using this is going to be a white man. Right. In the story, uh, talking about like the facial recognition was based on white men and white people in general. And so therefore, it's not taking any person of color into their thought process of like, oh, does this work with them? No, because your technology was not geared towards that and therefore creates an automatic bias Right. against people of color. And that's a whole different conversation. It's like, this should be learned. And of course, again, like this came from a heteronormative cis perspective, but this is that conversation of why intersectionality is so important and why it should be brought into point from jump. And what we look at as our past historical mistakes, and I say mm-hmm. ours because I'm still letting go of my internalized misogyny as well, that it has this whole narrative, like, this is where it comes from. This is where it went wrong. This is the chance that we have to change this because this can be applied 
for future things, including technology, including any type of apps or any, you know, all of those things. It's like it should be applied to that point. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting as I was reading through this, and it makes sense, but I feel like a lot of these studies, she would go talk to men behind them, sometimes women as well, um, and, you know, just ask questions. And it sounded like they just wanted to prove something they already believed. Right. Like, I believe that male species aren't meant to be monogamous, and women are, and this is how I went about proving it. Right. And if I think that, you know, even moving away from science, we're all kind of, we're all guilty of this, of picking and choosing what supports what we want to believe. Absolutely. <laughs> and ignoring what doesn't support it. And I think that that, especially when you're talking at, you know, a top level systemically, um, is really problematic. And it has been used to keep these systems in place and hurt and oppress so many people. Um, right. But we want to believe that science is neutral. But right. there are people doing it, so... It's not. I mean, but when we look at people like Darwin and when we look at people like Freud, who was a psychopathologist uh, slash neurologist, which I was like, well, he was. <laughs> we look at how often it's so incorrect, but we take the minute things that are correct and then right. run with it and then have the audacity to say everything they must have done has, must have been good. As we know, right. Darwin destroyed a lot of species to prove himself right. Like he literally decimated species on islands that like we've never seen because of him he essentially mm -hmm. killed off these little turtles which i was like <laughs> what but like he did things that, that seems like an atrocity and i think a lot of people who are uh, animal lov lovers like environmentalists now would agree now of course yeah. it's a whole different standard and we're learning new things but the fact of the matter is they're still putting those practices to uh, as if they're facts instead of looking yeah. back like this may have not been correct because these are the things that were going wrong and as in fact she talks about the one paper who everybody every man was banking their papers off of right uh, and then turning out they're like no one checked it no right. one actually checked it and there was never able to recreate his experiment to actually give the same results that right. is problematic mm-hmm and I think that's a great point, too, of like questioning, you know, where did this come from? How old is it? How is the study conducted? Uh, but when you base like all these other studies off of this one study and you're just assuming it's right. And I think that's something else that's also touched on in the book is, you know, there's less women, as she makes the case in the beginning, in this world of STEM. So there's that problem. But then also people are less likely to believe women or think women are credible in that world. So I think if a man comes out, he's like, yeah, here's my study. And no, people are like, yeah, he must have known what he's doing. That's correct. Whereas if a woman is like, here's mine. And people are like, no, probably. You need to do all X, Y, Z to prove to me that this is accurate. Right. And then I'm going to claim it. Yes. Which just compounds the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did like that uh, I've never heard of the terms neurosexist and neurofeminist. Yes. Um, but she talks about those in there, which are kind of what we're talking about in that how you approach these ideas when you're conducting these experiments or even coming up with like ways to conduct it or what, what we should be looking into that you can be, you can have this kind of neurosexist view 
or you can be feminist about it, be, have a neurofeminist view. Here's another quote. Study after study has shown almost all behavioral and psychological differences between the sexes to be small or non-existent. Cambridge University psychologist Melissa Hines and others have repeatedly demonstrated that boys and girls have little, if any, noticeable gaps between them when it comes to the fine motor skills, spatial visualization, mathematics ability, and verbal fluency. And then goes on to say, our brains are intersex. And that was also interesting because, as we said, she it's a, it can be a very tricky line of uh, when you're doing studies like this. And a lot of the women she interviewed, I felt not so much with the men, but a lot of the women she interviewed were like, I don't like how my study has been used or like kind of like cautious right. or anxious because it, we do know that it has been weaponized or misunderstood or willfully misinterpreted. So I just thought that was interesting. but. As more and more women enter the scientific field, they are changing the script. Right. Decades of rigorous testing of girls and boys confirmed that there are few psychological differences between the sexes and that the differences seen are heavily shaped by, surprise, culture, not biology. Yes. Yes. Um, that being said, plenty of fairly recent studies are still used to prove that men are superior in language that is often very sexist, often very Western. There have been a handful of studies that, quote, prove that there are inherent differences in babies of different sexes, that baby girls are more empathetic and baby boys are more systemizers, um, more into machines and just systems in general. Ideas like this are seductive, especially for new parents. Also make a lot of money, catch a lot of attention. But yeah, it, it's kind of, I don't know. I felt like a lot of these studies I was reading, there was an air from the usually male scientists behind it of like, look, I know this is going to make you mad, ladies, but it's science. Okay? Right. I like that one. <laughs> just because you don't like it, just because it sounds sexist doesn't mean it's not true. Right. <laughs> just because it sounds sexist doesn't mean it is. Like... I feel like that's an attitude we see a lot in um, men who are experts in something of almost almost like I'll eat your your tears for breakfast, but I almost like reveling in causing the anger and being kind of the asshole. <laughs> yeah, who was that one professor she talked to who was like, I'm about to get fired from Rutgers because we don't agree. Because his paper was BS, essentially. But yeah, I did find that interesting, too, that it seemed like a lot of the men were like, I'm sorry you don't like it, but that don't mean it's not science. It's kind of that same attitude of, yeah, but you also didn't read it. There's a lot of asterisks behind your research or that research where Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, and the specific study about the differences between the baby boys and baby girls, one of the conversations was the fact that the testers may have made um, nonverbal cues without knowing they're making nonverbal cues because of their own prejudice of seeing which one was a baby boy and which one was a baby girl. And so they had an yeah. un- unknowing bias in thinking mm-hmm. this is how they would react. And right. she did say that. They were, there was all these little asterisks to it. Like, yes, we did get this results. But it may have been the results because I actually did a head nod when I didn't mean to because right. it was a girl and that's how a girl's supposed to think type of conversation. Right. right. Well, the fact that they were... They're sex was indicated at all, that's kind of like, why did you do that? Like, (laughs) if you're trying to see a difference, that doesn't really make sense in terms of getting a a good set of data. Right. But yeah, there there was that and sort of this, like, men not used to being questioned or having to follow up. Um, But also, yeah, you know, we've all heard women 
are more emotional. So if you are a woman and you have questions, then it's almost it's almost a cycle where this guy could be like, well, the science says you're more emotional. So this just makes sense you're doing this. You're like, no. right. <laughs> I'm just asking also, like questions. <laughs> right. I also like that there's a, always a trade-off. He's like, well, as where I'm intellectual, you're more emotionally available and smarter in that way, in right. that realm. I'm like, wait, there's a trade-off? What? Right. But it's clear which one yeah, they which, think which is better. Yeah, which preferred to you. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Right. So clearly a lot to unpack here, a lot to discuss. It's given me a lot to think about for sure. Because um, I love I love science, but it is very... You've got to be clear that it's still people behind it and people still have biases. And we um, know Saini's got her other book, Superior. Yes. So yes. we may have to look into that as well. Yes. And listeners, if you have any book suggestions for us, please send them our way. Our email is stephmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 